0: Even all that fight against her and her munition, and that distress her, shall be as a dream of a night vision. In other words, Ariel will be attacked, Ariel will be distressed, but the flame of devouring fire linked to Ariel will ultimately destroy all those that threaten Jerusalem. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 131, Isaiah and Ariel. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In 1948, the Provisional Council of the State of Israel issued a proclamation stating that The flag of the State of Israel shall be as illustrated and described below. The flag is 220 centimeters long and 160 centimeters wide. The background is white and on it are two stripes of dark sky blue 25 centimeters broad over the whole length of the flag at a distance of 15 centimeters from the top and from the bottom of the flag. In the middle of the white background between the two blue stripes and at equal distance from each stripe is the Star of David, composed of six dark sky-blue stripes, 5.5 centimeters broad, which form two equilateral triangles, the bases of which are parallel to the two horizontal stripes, End quote. This flag, of course, had been the symbol of the Zionist movement. But, as the art historian Alec Mishori tells us, given that what is called the Star of David actually originated long after King David himself, and has a complicated history, there were other potential symbols that could have been selected for the flag of the Jewish state, including a Lion of Judah, a reference to Jacob's blessing of Judah as Gur Arye Yehuda. a young lion is Judah. Other possibilities were the Luchot, the tablets of the law, as well as Herzl's own suggestion in his pamphlet, The Jewish State of a Flag Featuring Seven Stars. In the end, Mishore writes, quote, This decision to adopt... The Zionist flag to be the flag of the state of Israel reflects its power as a symbol of the spirit of the Zionist movement. And Mishori later adds that, quote, The tablets of the law, the Lion of Judah, and Herzl's seven stars, advanced as possible replacements for the Star of David during the discussions about the flag, were incorporated in other official emblems. The Lion of Judah is the emblem of the municipality of Jerusalem. Herzl's seven stars are prominently featured in the emblems of Tel Aviv and Herzliya, and the tablets of the law appear on the emblem of the Chief Rabbinate of Israel. End quote. Thus, The flag of Jerusalem is to this day two blue stripes like that of the Israeli flag, but featuring an image of a lion, and fittingly so. For Isaiah links lions to Jerusalem in a way that we must understand, a way which lends a profound resonance to the miracle that is Jerusalem today. In chapter 29, Isaiah describes the descent of Assyria upon Jerusalem and also the city's ultimate salvation. He begins the chapter, Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. By this reference to a city and to David's city, it is clear that we are speaking about Jerusalem. Ariel means the Lion of God. That this is a name for Jerusalem makes sense because, as we have seen, it was from Judah, who was called a lion, that Davidic kings descend. And, as Isaiah stresses, Jerusalem is the location Asher Chana David, where David dwelt or where David encamped. And yet, we know that elsewhere in the Bible, Ariel refers specifically to one site within Jerusalem, to the altar on the Temple Mount. Thus, Ezekiel in chapter 43, giving us his vision of the temple that is yet to be, describes the altar as follows. And the Ariel was 12 cubits long and 12 cubits broad, four square with equal sides. Here, the Lion of God that is Ariel refers, it seems, to the fire on the altar that devours the offerings of Israel. So, is the altar Ariel, or is Jerusalem Ariel? The answer is both. Of course, for King David, the site of the altar and his capital city were profoundly linked, for it was he who had built the altar on what was to become the Temple Mount, an altar that embodied his dream of the temple that was to be built by his son Solomon. Strikingly, Winston Churchill, in his first speech as prime minister, drew inspiration from the speech of Judah the Maccabee right before the assault on Hellenist-occupied Jerusalem. And Churchill, as well, chose to join the altar with larger locations in Jerusalem. Here is the original speech of Judah the Maccabee. And Judah said, Arm yourselves, and be valiant men, and see that ye be in readiness against the morning, that ye may fight with these nations that are assembled against us to destroy us and our sanctuary. For it is better for us to die in battle than to behold the calamities of our people and our sanctuary. Nevertheless, as the will of God is in heaven, so let him do. Now here, ladies and gentlemen, is what Churchill said to Britain after France had already fallen. Quote, centuries ago, words were written to be a call and a spur to the faithful servants of truth and justice. Arm yourselves and be ye men of valor and be in readiness for the conflict. For it is better for us to perish in battle than to look upon the outrage of our nation and our altar. As the will of God is in heaven, even so let it be, End quote. There are slight changes here. As the Churchill scholar Richard Langworth put it, quote, Churchill altered the quotation. He either remembered badly or the writer in him could not resist an editorial improvement, End quote. Judah said, it is better for us to die in battle than to behold the calamities of our people and our sanctuary. But Churchill said, it is better for us to perish in battle than to look upon the outrage of our nation and our altar, and though this may be a slight misquote, it actually highlights, I think, the fact that Churchill had read his book of Maccabees and knew what Hanukkah was originally all about. Hanukkah means dedication because the event marked, first and foremost, the dedication and inauguration of the new altar built by Judah and his men in the restored temple, an altar that was a resonant symbol of the victory that they had achieved in Jerusalem. Here, too, in our biblical passage, Isaiah joins the altar with other parts of Jerusalem in referring to Jerusalem as Ariel, the Lion of God. Because David's altar on the Temple Mount reflected all that he believed Jerusalem was and all that he wanted it to be. And thus, Isaiah, throughout the rest of this prophecy, links altar and sacred city. As Rashi explains, Isaiah goes on to compare the fire of the altar to the wrath of God that will rain down upon the Assyrian army that threatens Jerusalem. Verse 2. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be unto me as Ariel. And I will camp against thee round about, and will lay siege against thee with a mount, and I will raise forts against thee. And thou shalt be brought down, and shalt speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall be low out of the dust, and thy voice shall be as of one that hath a familiar spirit out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. Moreover, the multitude of thy strangers shall be like small dust. And the multitude of the terrible ones shall be as chaff that passeth away. Yea, it shall be at an instant suddenly. Thou shalt be visited of the Lord of hosts, with thunder, and with earthquake, and with great noise, with storm and tempest, and the flame of devouring fire. And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, even all that fight against her and her munition, and that distress her, shall be as a dream of a night vision. In other words, Ariel will be attacked, Ariel will be distressed but the flame of devouring fire linked to Ariel will ultimately destroy all those that threaten Jerusalem. The fire of the altar in the temple embodied the salvation and independence of Jerusalem. It is with this in mind that we can interpret further a striking statement of the rabbinic sages. We are told in the Talmud that on the altar in Jerusalem there crouched no normal flame, but nothing less than an animal made of luminous fire which would consume the sacrifices placed upon it. But the animal, the Talmud further informs us, changed shapes in the transition from the first to the second temple. In the Jerusalem of Solomon and his reigning descendants, the flame looked like a lion, but on the altar of the second temple, in contrast, the fire was akin to the shape of a dog. Why a lion in the first temple and a mere canine in the second? In a wonderful sermon, Rabbi Norman Lamb interpreted these images as descriptions of two different political postures. As he put it, quote, A lion and dog may be said to represent two conceptions of the conduct of a Jew, especially of Jews as a national entity. The lion is not afraid of resistance. He knows what he wants and will fight for his vital needs. He may suffer defeat, and in that case he will lick his wounds, but never will he bow, never will he beg for his wants. The lion loves freedom, better freedom alone in the desert, hungry and thirsty than mountains of meat in a posh cage. The dog, Rabbi Lam continues, places no value on freedom. And then Rabbi Lam later adds that a dog seeks, quote, Someone with whom to ingratiate himself, someone whom he can serve faithfully and thus get his reward, a bone from the table, end quote. Thus Rabbi Lamb said, the different shapes of the fire of the altar ultimately embody the independence of the Jewish people or the lack thereof in the two temple periods. Quote, the first commonwealth was the period of the lion in Jewish history. It began with the conquest of Canaan by Joshua and the Israelites, went through the period of monarchy, Saul, David, Solomon, and their followers. The building of the first temple until the defeat of the Israelites and their exile under Nebuchadnezzar, this was a colorful if uncertain period in Jewish history. There were many defeats as well as triumphs, moral backsliding as well as spiritual attainments. But above all, these were nine hundred glorious years of proud and dignified national selfhood. The fire on the altar was crouching, like a lion. The second Commonwealth, Rabbi Lamb continued, was the era of Kelev, the dog, end quote. or as he further adds. The return to the Holy Land was brought about, first and foremost, not through Jewish determination, but, quote, by the grace of the Persian emperor, Cyrus. And then Rabbi Lam adds, it was the period of shtadlanut, of political maneuvering and manipulation, and begging and cajoling in order to attain the end of Jewish statehood, end quote. If this is the case, ladies and gentlemen, then, however literally we take the rabbinic description of the Temple Flames, we can now further understand, based on its teaching, why the fire of the altar of Chanukkah, which occurred during the Second Temple period, is so central to the founding of the celebration. The altar of the Hanukkah inauguration, Burning Bright, represented nothing less than proud Jewish independence, the first time during the Second Temple period, in which the Temple was entirely under Jewish control, rather than under that of pagans, when the most sacred section of the Holy Land was under the authority of those loyal to Jewish tradition. William Manchester's biography of Churchill is called The Last Lion, and the Hanukkah period was the time of Jewish lionhood during the age of the Second Temple. The fire of the altar of Hanukkah embodied the heroism of the Jewish spirit in a dark hour, and a link to David's own dreams, to the Jerusalem that was, in Isaiah's words, Ariel, the place where David dwelled. The teaching of the Talmud also lends depth and profundity to our times today. For now, the Jewish people have returned to Eretz Israel, and we can all celebrate the lion like independence that has been achieved in the Holy Land. As Rabbi Lamb pointed out further in his sermon, while Zionism in its infancy required a certain subservience, Herzl's meeting and beseeching statesmen, all the lobbying and pleading that led to the Balfour Declaration, nevertheless, this led up to a battle for independence, which was, in Rabbi Lam's words, quote, an ancient spark of Gur Aryeh Yehuda of Judah as a lion cub, end quote. We today thank God there is an independent state of Israel, that there is an Israeli army that defends Jerusalem. And we celebrate the miracle that less than 20 years after the flag of Jerusalem was designed, the Lion of Judah flew over a united Jerusalem. But Isaiah's vision also reminds us that Jerusalem is Ariel because of the focus of David's vision, because of the Temple Mount. And we know that today Jews are often barred from the Temple Mount. And that their connection to Judaism's most sacred site, the locus of David's dream, where this great king built an altar, is all too often denied. But it is the God that dwells there who has made himself manifest in the miracles of our age. As Tzipi Chotevelli, now Israeli ambassador to Britain, once put it in the Knesset, there is no Zionism without Zion. There is no Zion without Jerusalem. There is no Jerusalem without the Temple Mount. Or, as I would add, the connection of Jews and Judaism to Ariel is linked to the soul of Zionism itself. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.